So, uh, Father, we just come before you in the name of Jesus, and we're asking for fresh insight and revelation from the Holy Spirit. Help me, God, to communicate succinctly and with your heart tonight, God. We want to leave this place having felt uh, your presence and been instructed by your word. And uh, I pray that you'd continue to help us to develop a prayer culture here in this house and in our city and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So again, prayer, when two or three gather. One thing I want to do real quick is because I have extended notes tonight that I'm not going to touch on. I mean, normally I have notes, but... Just just so you know, I'm going to go through page one basically tonight, but on page two, I have a much fuller thought on what Matthew 18 really talks about, and I have a lot of quotes from really smart people who validate what Matthew 18 means. And the reason I want to point that out is because in the modern evangelical Christian stripe, there are a lot of people who will say, Derek, that's not even what that means. Matthew 18, 19, and 20 isn't even about prayer. And I see this all the time on Twitter. And I, I love being on Twitter just so I can know what people think. But there is an academic, a modern academic approach to Christianity that basically makes Bible verses mean nothing. And so I just want to point that out, that I did a lot of research this week and, you know, because sometimes we come across verses and we don't understand how much information is out there backing up what we believe. Really smart people that have said, yes, this means this for this reason. And so I, I, I did a lot more study than usual. But all the way beginning from the early church fathers, I've got a quote from Chrysostom, John Chrysostom, who was discipled by John the Apostle. All the way till recently, John Calvin are in high agreement. This is talking about prayer. <laughs> I just, it sort of is unfortunate that we even have to make that comment, but it's, it's worth knowing because I think more and more we're going to see so many opinions about every single Bible verse that we just have to know, okay, they're arguing that, but let's go back to what's the Bible plainly say and what have people said throughout church history? What is the consensus among conservative scholars or what's the consensus among people who really know what they're talking about and so I just that's basically page two and three we're going to focus on page one because we only got a few more minutes Lord help us so my prayer right now is that we as Christians we as a house we as believers would embrace an hour of prayer on a regular basis I, I just can't I can't stress enough how important I believe that is. An hour of prayer on a regular basis. I think the Holy Spirit is emphasizing this very point. If we regularly spend an hour of prayer, we will have His heart so much more than if we just neglect that. I mean massively more. That's my prayer in this hour. And I here's the thing. This is what we're going to talk about tonight. Gatherings of two or three. We will do that if we do it together. It takes a house 
to do a house of prayer. We have to have people coming together. And so let me just read Matthew 18, 19, and 20. I'm not going to go through all of the early part of Matthew 18, but it's, it's traditionally understood today to be about church discipline, which I disagree with in, this, uh, in these notes. I think it's mostly about restoration. And I think it's unfortunate that we've titled it church discipline because I think it, it really takes away from what Jesus was getting at, which is we really need to fight to be in relationship with each other. And when we are hurt... The default isn't just discipline them, which is what is very common today is, oh, Matthew 18, that is how we kick people out of the church. I mean, it's just sad how that has become, it's even titled that in a lot of Bibles, but really what Jesus is trying to say is, this is a process you go through to really stay in relationship when it's hard. When someone's truly offended you and sinned against you, this is what you do. And at the end of it, he tags on teaching on prayer. Again, a lot of people today will say that's not about prayer. That's about church discipline. And I think that's unfortunate. But we get to the end of that passage, and Jesus says again, Truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, and and what they ask for, that's prayer because they're asking God in heaven. If two of you agree about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. What Jesus is saying, in context, you're going through this process of restoring a relationship. Don't forget you can ask God anything and He'll do it. What I believe He's truly saying here is pray like crazy that the enemy does not gain a victory in that relationship. Fight for it. It's like he's saying, okay, he sinned against you. If he doesn't listen when you go to him alone, take a friend. If they don't listen, then take it to you even more. But remember, you can pray and God will do it, even if it's just a couple of you. Very significant. And he adds on in verse 20, where two or three gather in my name, my name I'm there. And there are many implications to that two-verse section there, but we're going to keep moving quickly. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 40, he invited his disciples to a prayer time, just a small cluster, and he challenged Peter, because Peter fell asleep like I would. (laughs) You know, we're like, Lord, you've been out praying so long, we're going to take a nap. And he says, Peter, could you not watch for one hour? It's like Jesus saying, guys, one hour is nothing. Could you not watch for like the minimum? Which I think this is interesting. So he challenged them frequently to have prayer lives throughout the Gospels. And then when we get to the book of Acts, chapter 3, 1, after the Spirit's poured out, we see they're still going to the prayer room after they've received the promise of the Father. Because some think, well, they got the Holy Spirit. They got the answer to prayer. So they don't need to pray. Errant, wrong. The promise that was given was a validation. Keep doing that. That's how you keep getting more of God. It wasn't like, you got the answer, now quit. (laughs) No, the promise was given as an answer, yes, but also a validation. That's the correct way of interpreting wait in Jerusalem. I will continue to break in on you if you keep praying. And that's what they did. In Acts 3.1, it says, Peter and John went up together, 
That's important. They did this together. It was a life of prayer and witness they did together. We need to do things in community. And next week I'm going to talk about praying in our prayer closet because that's also valid. They actually go together. But they went up for their corporate prayer time together at the hour of prayer. There was a set hour of prayer that they had where they're like, let's do it. We can't do it alone. We always fall asleep. We know Jesus always rebuked us for it. So could, let's do this. To, I mean, these are apostles. These are like the mega spiritual people falling asleep, getting rebuked. They know they need to pray, but they can't do it that well. So they have to do it together. Let's go to letter B. We know this. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You know, what Jesus is really talking about there is he's talking about the religious activity in the literal temple in Jerusalem. And I'm going to comment a little more about that. So he's saying, see that temple over there that took 46 years to build, which says that in John 2.20, the centerpiece of religious activity is people should pray. And, and by implication, when he says that, what he's saying is, for God's people, the centerpiece of worship is prayer. My house shall be a house of prayer. He said it of the temple, which is the very, very central building of Jewish worship. And it had an implication that among all of God's people, what we are to rally around and keep as an ultimate priority is the coming together for prayer. That upholds the apostolic vision originally handed down by the, by the early church is when we have this conviction to pray together. I didn't make this up. The prayer movement didn't make this up. Uh, Mike Bickle didn't make this up. This is just how it is from day one. The church is to be a priestly praying people. And worship is an element of that, you know, inter intercession, petition, all there's so many dynamics, but at the very central point, Jesus said, my house is to be a house of prayer. He could have said evangelism, teaching, worship, giving to the poor, but he said prayer, and so we have to really respect that. And not every place in the world is going to be 24 hours a day, but there has to be this priority given. Okay, we are to safeguard, as modern local churches or ministries, we're to safeguard the reality of prayer. Give it priority. Again, Jesus commanded in Acts 1-4, He said, make sure you pray, make sure you wait in Jerusalem for the promise, and they, they interpreted that as praying. They prayed for a week, the promise came, the Spirit was poured out. I'm convinced if we continue to pray together, we'll see more visitations of the Holy Spirit. If we don't, we won't see it. I'm just absolutely convinced of this. And that's why I believe we don't see much evident of outpouring, like, like what we're believing for is the prayer level has to increase dramatically. We don't earn it, but we position ourselves, we cooperate with how it is. If the apostles would not have waited in Jerusalem by praying, we would never have seen the promise. It's just that's how it is. But they did, and we saw it. Now let's just drill in specifically. This is number two. Why does Jesus highlight two or three? Because we know he teaches, go to your room and pray. That's valid. That's what we're going to talk about next week, prayer. 
when we're alone with God, but why does he highlight two or three? Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, one of the most well-known voices in church history, he says that two or three are mentioned not to encourage absence. I just think there's a church of 500. Praise God, it's only two or three that's needed. 497 of us can watch football. You know, it's like, Spurgeon's like, no, 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 guys, guys. Not to encourage absence, but to cheer the faithful few who do not forget the assembling of themselves together. I love that quote, and I've got a bunch more on the back you can read uh, other times. So I've been doing prayer for a long time now. And I got a little bit of my story there. But I've often thought about, Lord, why did you say this? Two or three? Why not 10 or 12? Or, you know, why not, uh, you know, why, why, what? Why 10 or, why two or three? And I've boiled this down to, in my experience, it's because he knew that's what most prayer meetings would be. Even in a prayer ministry, when we have larger prayer meetings, most of the prayer that's taking place is the guy that meets with the, the leader after the prayer meeting or the counseling session between the counselor and the husband or the, you know, the bedtime prayers with Johnny and, and Jill and mom. The vast majority of prayer meetings we will have are two and three. And Jesus knew that and so he wanted to place a very special emphasis on what he knew we would do most. Of course he honors public prayer meetings. It's obvious that the presence of the Lord is there you know, most of the time. But we have this question in the back of our minds frequently. Did that matter that I just did that with my little kid? Did that really matter? That, that pings around our head all the time. It does for me. And so I, I honestly think he highlights... The little gathering, the two and three, knowing that's going to be most of the times you pray. Now, we tend to think of prayer as the big meeting, stirring worship, impassioned intercession, on the microphone. We love that. We need more of this. Reality is it's just not going to be the most prayer meetings. Even if this goes 24-7 one day and we do that every night, I can guarantee... Nine out of ten, or one out of ten times I do that, nine out of ten, I'm going to be on the phone praying with someone about an issue for, for five, ten minutes. I think Jesus wants us to know with absolute certainty two people praying matters. Three people praying moves heaven and earth. It binds and looses things. It does. He's genuinely involved in them. That's what I think he's getting at when he says, guys, if it's just two of you and you ask for something, hint, hint, even in the most ridiculous personal struggle with a friend or whatever, if you ask God, he'll likely break into that. So don't, don't think he won't. What's the one thing we don't want to pray about when we're hurt? Lord, restore that relationship. Or we have an enemy. Bless them, restore our relationship. It's like he knew in all of his genius what we wouldn't want to pray and what we would think about two and three, so he just said it. Let's go to letter B. Imagine the, the burden of, of if it said, I'm just going to reread it. Again, truly I tell you that if two or three thousand of you agree 
about anything they ask, then I'll do it. Again, truly I tell you, if two or three hundred churches will get together in a civic center, I'll break in. Imagine the burden if he actually said that. I mean, really. I mean, I love the big meetings. I love it. Oh, man, those are awesome. We need more of that. I'm believing for that. I'm praying for that. But imagine the burden of him saying, friends, two or three thousand of you get together. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to just blow that place off the map. It's going to be incredible. The fact is, though, if he would have said that, what happens? Most Christians in the world today, and historically especially, would have no ability to mobilize that. None. I mean, just go back 50 years. No phones, barely radio, TV. Can you imagine being in the middle of an African desert trying to mobilize? I'm just trying to get 2,000, 3,000 together, like Jesus said. And I want something to happen. You know, can you imagine the burden if it was anything else? He says, guys, good news. It's two or three. You can do that and I will join there. Now we know Jesus is always with us by the Holy Spirit. He's in our heart by the Holy Spirit. He's always with us. What he's talking about is an added blessing. Kind of like we come to Christ by grace, but Jesus says, you walk in humility, there's more grace available. There's added dimensions of grace if we do what he's talking about. So yes, Jesus is always with me, but we get into a spirit of agreement and prayer with one or two other people, I'm there, there, more, more me. I'm there in a a unique way. So he wants us to know that. I imagine someone in the middle of China in 1900 trying to get God to move in their community and... Yeah, guys, look at the verse here. Two or three thousand need to get together and then revival will happen. Can you imagine? I just, I just, my heart would go out to, to those people, but praise God it doesn't say that because if it did, a lot of people would quit praying. So he sets the bar at something doable for everyone in church history, no matter their circumstances. You can pick up a phone and you've got two or three. He wants us to know that prayer is doable and accessible. Of course we can pray alone. God moves. But when we get with one or two other people, there's this added dimension. There's power there. He he essentially wants us to know the corporate prayer meeting, just get a friend. And it's a corporate prayer meeting that I'm at. That's church. And I love the stadium events. I do. But what happens when we have to cancel everything because we have a a coronavirus? Is is God can't move now? This This is most certainly a time where we need to rethink what do we think about prayer? Are we filling stadiums because that's what we think we have to do to make God move? Certainly He will because there will be all kinds of twos and threes in that meeting praying. But Jesus said, I'm saying this for a reason. Because if you really believe it, you'll do prayer so much more. And I've met a lot of those kind of Christian conference junkies. They go from conference to conference once a year, but in between they have no life in God because they're hoping the uh, conference will save them. It's like uh, there's something way better, like 
do two or three every day of the year for, and then, yeah. Anyway, guys, what if we come into seasons longer than the one we've been in where we just can't do these big gatherings? I hope not, but what if? We can still see God move. What if we mobilized hundreds and hundreds of little groups to have a set prayer time? What if we had a 24-7 prayer center that inspired hundreds and thousands of other twos and threes to pray? Jesus moving in all of them. I know that I know that Jesus is at these meetings because I have come into hundreds of prayer meetings so grumpy and so tired and left totally different. God touched my heart. It has happened hundreds of times. I mean, literally, show up at 6 or 7 and just like, oh, I don't want to be here. By the end, I'm just like, Jesus, you're awesome. Amazing. I got a prophetic word and I can keep going. I'm trying to convince you tonight a few ordinary Christians can change outcomes, shift global affairs through their prayers. I didn't intend for that to rhyme, but it did. (laughs) Hallelujah. Let me just say one more comment, and then I'm going to share a story and we'll close. Letter C. Here's the thing. Here's what's problematic about the two and the three gathering. I've done this literally for over 20 years, prayer meetings regularly. I cannot tell you how many times someone will be like, man, that was hard. I don't know if God really heard that. Man, that was, that was we just didn't break through. Man, that was, that was hard prayer. I, I, it has nothing to do with our feelings. Literally nothing. Here's the thing, though. Here's what's problematic to a two- or three-person gathering of those asking God for anything, it feels like it's not doing anything. It feels that way. It really does. And here's the added problem. It's especially exacerbated by the fact that many Christians today, they equate spirituality with contemporary worship in a setting that is loud, loud sound, lights, crowds, emotion, passion, Ah, you leave that feeling something and you equate that feeling with something happened. (laughs) And if that doesn't happen, nothing happened. That's what we feel like, but our feelings aren't true. Here's the thing. Many Christians leave church on a Sunday morning. They felt something. They experienced something. And so we spend the rest of the week intuitively we're reaching for that feeling or that setting to validate something when all the while it has nothing to do with feelings. We can come into a setting with absolutely feeling nothing, pray two or three people, and God breaks in. And we can be a setting where people are shouting and we're just, ah, Jesus is amazing, and nothing happens because no one actually prayed. And not that worship isn't prayer, but I'm just saying it has nothing to do with feelings. I want good, happy feelings. I would much rather have that. But we have to begin to separate the compartments that feelings equal God moving or not moving if we don't feel something. It has no bearing on each other. Again, I would love to feel great in a two- to three-person prayer meeting or a big gathering. But it is silly when you kind of say it that way. But it's, it's how so many people think. 
well, Derek, if, if we could just, you know, get so-and-so to come here and just fill the place. And, but it's like, I get what you're saying. You want to have a big experience. I love that. But what I'm really after is a prayer culture, and we can have that. We can have a prayer culture. We really can. And not, and not have to do that thing where we're always trying to get some experience. That to me is burdensome. I've actually talked with people about this. I've met with them. They're thinking we got to like get the anointed person here so that they can do their thing so that it just, it has not, Jesus says I'm there if you pray. And I get it. I would love to have the biggest name out there come and do a thing and we're full and people get delivered. I'd love that. But here's what I've seen in my experience, they keep thinking it has to be that over and over and over. And so it's a burden. We feel like we have to mobilize this big event every time we want something to happen. And Jesus says, how about you do my way? Two or three, I'm actually there. The very Son of God, the Shekinah glory himself, I'm there. It's like we, we, we are so convinced of the production not the person, the second person of the Trinity who, and I'm thinking, man, I get it. it. It's a prayer culture. You get together, it can be as small as two or three and you really touch people because I've been touched so many times. Just this week, Joe, I think you were here. Well, Joe, you've been here every night. Um, it was me, the kids, Joe, maybe if someone else and my kids just start prophesying. They don't know they're prophesying. And Caleb, who you're going to hear me say this and probably blush, but it, I, I just was so blessed by Caleb and Noah this week because Caleb was like, Dad, I just got this thought. Like, you know, what if um, someone just gave us a million dollars and we fixed the whole house of prayer? And it's just totally awesome. And then we just pay a bunch of people to just do prayer and worship like all night. And we're like 24-7. And he just keeps going on. And I'm like, you just said the vision better than I've ever said it. I think the Lord just blessed. I think the Lord was using you to, to just stir me up, man. And so they just began to pray into it, and we had quite a night. And so I just was so blessed. It was a small gathering. Man, I would love bigger. I would love God to move on, a, on, a, on another scale, but we can have them in just a couple people gathering. Let's put less, what's the word? Let's put less weight on our feelings and more weight on what Jesus said and just watch him work in just two or three settings. Jesus stated, small gathering of prayer, he's there. Second person of the Trinity, 100% of God. I tell this story sometimes, I'm just going to remind everybody tonight because I... I'm pretty sure you've all heard it. A couple of years ago, I was in a, I was in a, I was in one of those moments where I'm like, Lord, I have prayed so many 30 second prayers, and I have a feeling I'm going to keep doing this the rest of my life. I would like to know in just a special way. Could you just remind me how powerful they are? Because I've done thousands of them, maybe tens of thousands, and I just hopefully I'm not wasting my life. You know, I just had one of those moments. So I just said, God, here's going to be my prayer for the next few weeks. Show me the power of 30-second prayers because I've done it so many times. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to do it the rest of my life by God's grace. 
Will you just give me one of those God things where I know this is, this is worth it? So I prayed that for a number of weeks, multiple times a day. God, show me the power of 30-second prayers. Show me, show me what it does, God. Fast forward a few weeks, I put out a message on Facebook. We're going to pray for miracles tonight. It wasn't even connected to my prayer. I just had faith that afternoon. I put on Facebook, we're going to pray for miracles at Friday Encounter Night. Come and believe for miracles. So I have it anonymous on the notes, but this is Shirley. You, you all know Shirley. She came and she wanted to pray for a miracle for her friend. She comes and shows up and she says, I have a friend in the hospital. She's dying. The doctors aren't basically saying it's over. Everything's shutting down. Being the great leader I am, I completely forget about her prayer request. <laughs> so at the end of the night, we're shutting down, <laughs> like three hours later or whatever, and she reminds me, and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm, I'm just ready to go to bed, basically. It's Friday night, you know, because that's what you do when you're almost 40. You just go to bed at night. <laughs> I'm getting old. So we, we're like, yes, okay, let's pray. Shirley, so Shirley's there and me and like three other people. And I'm like, Lord, we just lift up this situation. I mean, it sounded so bad, like there's no chance. And so we've prayed so many prayers like this, so I'm just kind of like, Lord, I'm thinking I'm so tired. God, just we ask for a miracle. You know, it's one of those prayers, you just pray like that. And then the next person prays, and the next person, then you just go home. Absolutely zero feelings. Had absolutely felt no faith at all. And a few days later... Shirley contacts me, says something like this. Derek, that night after we prayed, something very extraordinary happened. And the doctors cannot believe it. Every single thing that had gone wrong in her body began to reverse and get better instantly. And she is uh, recovering. And the doctors are blown away. And uh, it looks like she's going to make a recovery. And she since did make a full recovery alive to this day. I'm like, wow, prayer works. I mean, I know it does, but praise God, another one. You know, another answer to prayer. You know, I'm just kind of, I'm used to praying. And I mean, that's awesome. That's a miracle. And some point later, the Lord whispers to me, that was the answer to your prayer. Do you see what you did? 30 second, 30 second, 30 second, felt nothing. Boom. That's your answer, kid. Just you prayed, I answered. Just know that. Those 30-second prayers release miracles. Two or three, 30 seconds, you feel nothing, but God breaks in. I'm like, okay, there it is. I believe again. I believe, but help my unbelief. I sign up again. And it was just one of those moments he was talking through a miracle. And it's like he knows the life of an intercessor. You pray so many things. You, you go to so many prayer meetings. It just kind of all blends. And you're like, Lord, is it even doing anything? Every once in a while, he just says, get honest with me. Pray those specific prayers. Ask for f- you know, fresh stories and breakthroughs. And I'll do it. And so, God, give us new ones. Give us new breakthrough prayers. Um, I made it. About 30 minutes. So that's Matthew 18, 19, and 20. That's why we do twos and threes. I'm trying to convince a community to do this, even when it's small. Here's the thing. Guys, when, when, 
when we get to a point when the prayer room's rocking, we've got hundreds of people every night or whatever it's going to be when God moves and does it, people will come just because there's a crowd. But there's got to be people who will say, I'll do it no matter what. I'll do it if it's two or three. If we get a, a, a bunch of people that buy in at that level, there's no stopping those people because they do it when it's the hardest. But there will come a time when the prayer culture hits the church and everybody wants to go to prayer meeting because hundreds of people are there and your friends are there and it's happening and it feels amazing. But we've got to birth things at the 2 or 3 level to get to the 10, 12 level and the 70, 80 level and on and on. And I think that's what we've been wrestling with for a few years is who's going to buy in at the smallest level and, and let the pain of that mold them to be someone who can be faithful when it's bigger and, and more prominent. Because the things that, that die in the ground and begin to sprout, once the thing begins to grow, people want to be a part of it. It's just who's going to wrestle at the, at the, at the minimal level. Now, I always think of, you know, you know, Mike Bickle will tell stories. He's like, guys, people think that IHOP started 20 years ago. It started 40 years ago. <laughs> when we would do prayer meetings, you know, morning, afternoon, and night, and no one came. It, we did 20 years of prayer, and like no one was there. And then we started IHOP, and then it was just kind of like everybody thought that was the beginning. It was not the beginning. I mean, he, he did this 20, 21, 22, 23, all the way till he was 40, and then it went to another level. And so there is, it's going to do that. You can't, it's like you can't throw a football and it not come down. You can't throw a prayer up and it not come down. It, it's going to happen. Two or three gathered together in prayer. Jesus says, I'm there. He's here right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the promise. It's not two or three thousand. It's not two or three hundred churches. It's just two or three believers who will agree together and you, you come to that meeting. We thank you that you are so good as to set the bar at a place that is doable. And so I ask for a, a grace upon my brothers and my sisters, whether in the room or listening via Facebook or through uh, the recording. I'm asking for a fresh inspiration to pray. Lord, let there be a grace for prayer in this hour. Help us to be those who pray for an hour regularly. In the name of Jesus, help us by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.